You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. CRM has been proven to limit sales reps' responsiveness, persistency, and cadence. It's a design flaw, and it's losing you deals. That is why today's sales leaders use sales engagement platforms like VanillaSoft. Check it out. Go to VanillaSoft.com and start your free trial. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. My name is David Delaney, your host, and I'm very honored and blessed to have the next guest on the show. We've been trying to get this together for a couple months now. Liz Kane, a partner with OpenView Venture Capital. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Oh, thank you for coming on. You know, I found out about Liz from a, an, a video from the Enterprise Sales Forum from like probably five years ago or more. I think when you were still deep in the sales development world and you did a presentation, it's somewhere on YouTube. And I was like, wow, okay, I need to meet this person. You really dug way back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's all out there. It's 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 good stuff. I'm going to go look. <laughs> if anyone's, you know, curious, uh, go to YouTube, you could probably find it. But Liz, if if there's a few people out there who have not met you yet, how did you get into where your current position? Tell us about your, your background. Awesome. So I'll start with this. Today, I'm a partner at OpenView Venture Partners. We're a VC that invests in enterprise technology companies at the expansion stage. So B2B software companies think companies like Expensify, Calendly, Datadog, um, probably heard of a lot of these. You can check out our portfolio. But my role here is really working with the portfolio on their go-to-market strategies and helping them find more of the right customers and the right talent as they go through this kind of explosive stage of growth. Before that, I was at NetSuite, was working for a small startup, got acquired by NetSuite in 2008, and got to work on lots of fun things within their sales org across sales operations, account management, and then eventually building out their lead gen team. And uh, I started working on that in 2011, and we hired up a team of, you know, it grew over the years, but kind of when I left in 2016, we were about 170 people operating globally, doing inbound lead qual and outbound prospecting. So pretty big team in sales development. And at NetSuite, it was all about creating that training ground to create the future sales reps for the entire company. Yes, I love it. And I mean, you think about a lot of the folks that are out there, you're running teams of 5, 10, 15, 20. I mean, 170 people. It was big. That is huge. And whatever happened with NetSuite? Like, are they still an independent company or did they go public? Yeah. Yeah. So NetSuite went public in 2007. Okay. And then they got. Uh, acquired by Oracle in 2016, which is a huge exit. I think it was 9.3 billion. So rapid growth, like an awesome ride there. Okay. And so tell me this, are you happy to be out of sales development in, in, in the venture world? Or is there anything about our world that you miss? 
Oh, I miss it all the time. The people are amazing, uh, but it's fun. So my my job today, I'm spending a lot of time with our portfolio companies, and I think you know where I find a ton of energy now is spending time with the sales development and inside sales leaders who are kind of building these initial teams and going through that get it off the ground phase. And then you talk to the ones who are going through the like, hey, it was doable at five and suddenly I have 15 people working for me. What's next? And then there's the ones in the portfolio who have teams of 40 and those are totally different challenges. And so I get to spend a lot of time on this still. It just looks a little different. I don't have a quota anymore. Yes. And and that must be nice sometimes. <laughs> so, that was a weird transition. I'll tell you, I, I worked yeah. for a really long time. And for the yeah. first six months in this role, you're like, oh, how do I know if I'm doing well? <laughs> yeah, you're just like you got to wait around for your yeah. performance review or something. Yeah, that's that's a different world. A friend of mine became an analyst at a. He went from sales development to be, be, became an analyst at a research firm, and he was just like, "This is so weird, not having a quota." So, so uh, weird. I can feel it, and and so you know, you did a great talk at the sales development conference about a trend that you're seeing and something that OpenView has really been focused on. And I really wanted to dive into that with you. And if anyone listening, if you've not seen Liz's talk, just go to YouTube again at the 10 bound conference 2018, and, and you can find it in there. You were talking about product-led growth and how that's becoming more prevalent um, in the market. And can you just tell us, give us a background, what is product-led growth? You know, why is it coming up? You know, how does it involve sales development? Give us a download on it. Sure. So I guess like first, product-led growth is first and foremost a go-to-market strategy. And it's the idea that your product can sell itself and that self-service is a model that buyers and users today are really getting used to and they want to be able to test, try, feel a product before they commit. And in that model, your product can actually do a lot of your go-to-market motion for you. So companies I point to that are like really well-known and doing an awesome job of this, Atlassian, Slack, many people are using that. But there's like obvious ones in your day-to-day too. And I think LinkedIn is actually a great example where you've got a bunch of end users who are using the product and naturally by using it, they're interacting with others because it's a social network and they're pulling more people in. And you create this large group of people that over time can be monetized in different ways. And so LinkedIn today is monetizing based on sales and recruiting and um, a couple other different ways through like personal use cases too. But they've been able to take that user-driven network and turn it into a B2B business. And that's kind of like the fundamentals of what product-led growth is. So we started focusing on it got a couple of years ago, but I think one of the first investments we made in the space was Expensify, which tons of people use, expense reports that don't suck. Yes. And there's a couple of really <laughs> cool things about it. One, like it was designed with the user in mind. So everybody has had the really shitty process of doing an expense report where you have to enter all these fields, it crashes, you know, you have to save all these paper things and submit them, maybe even mail them in. And the, you know, when David started the company, what he wanted to do was solve that problem for the end user, like remove the pain of that process. And so it was this really obvious pain point with the market that was pulling him to solve it. And users were seeking out the solution. It wasn't VPs and CFOs that you were selling to. Instead, it was an end user saying, I got to find a solution to this. I don't want to do this for two hours every week. And so they would download an application. They would take a picture of their receipts. It would simply submit them for them. 
And they would go to their controller and say, hey, like everybody should be using this. That's awesome. So that was kind of the, the first company we saw this in. And it has performed unbelievably well. And the unit economics of these businesses are really interesting. And so we've we've spent more time seeking them out and sort of exploring this phenomenon and this new go-to-market model and have since encountered many amazing companies doing this, including in our portfolio, Datadog and Calendly and Deputy and Pipeify, but a broad universe of companies that are doing this. So if you actually want to check those out, we, we decided to map the market recently and we went out and explored all the companies we could find to employing this go-to-market strategy and map them based on both their maturity and the category which they're serving, the end user. And I think that's a it's a pretty cool thing to go look at how many companies are doing this because I think it, it feels like a new phenomenon to a lot of people, this kind of new thing that's happening, but there's hundreds and hundreds of companies doing it already. Right. And and I noticed that map. That's really useful. So and people can get that, I think, on the blog, right? On the OpenView blog. OpenView Labs, yep. OpenView Labs. Okay. Definitely check that out. And and what's interesting about this is that a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people listening, they're selling something that you you maybe you can get a free trial for like seven days or fourteen yep. days, but then you know, it's like a twenty to $25,000 yearly commitment, you know, that you have to go and you have to, you know, walk the halls and get permission from like five different people. And what I've always been interested in about product-led growth is, you know, just your average sales rep or your SDR can just jump on, start using it immediately and get a lot of value out of it. And it's, right. it's like that bottom-up approach, Right. It absolutely is bottoms up. And I think that's okay. the key. There's a few things that have shifted here. First, instead of designing for a VP or C-suite sale, you're actually designing to create a delightful experience for the end user. And the way to make that work, though, in a bottoms up model is to be really thoughtful about how you monetize your product and where you add value. And so you can't give everything away because then there's no incentive to convert. But you also need to be able to show real value in those first interactions. And so that probably means kind of figuring out what are the value drivers for your individual end user and giving them access to that and encouraging them to use it in the first few steps so that you then can monetize in the back end. Right. Um, if, go ahead. Please go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so that that's the thing. If you're like starting up a company and you're pouring all this time and money into it and years of your life and, and, and then you release something for free and people start signing up for it and they're really, they really love it and stuff like that. Like, how do you, how do you then get them to convert, to get the goodies, you know, and, and start to yeah. make some money on it? That must be a challenge. Yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, I think the key there is being really thoughtful about how you are going to monetize the product. And there is not one answer to that. But uh, yeah, I guess perhaps maybe we take a step back and think about sort of the two ways product-led growth is being used. I think there are companies who are built with this bottoms-up approach in mind from the get-go. If you look at like an Atlassian, which is a very large company, it was always built with this model of self-serve, that we are going to build products that people can use without support. And we are going to pour all of our energy, effort, money, resources into designing a frictionless workflow that somebody can get started on without help. The other end of the spectrum, and honestly, most software still, is not designed that way. It probably requires some sort of implementation, but 
often that's making up for what is just a not great product experience and something that could actually be built back into the product. And so we're trying to encourage people to do is think about are there product led strategies that you can use, even if you're not that like more traditional first product led company that I described. And I think that's where really this kind of intersects with sales development, because on the front end, there are so many things we do. And like I ran, I ran this team, I've encouraged people to do it that actually interrupt a natural buying process. Yes. And if we can be really thoughtful about what that customer journey is and build the right things into our product that remove any of the friction, then we can evolve our sales development teams or our sales teams at the right point when somebody's hand raising, rather than trying to almost over aggressively move them through a process when they're not ready. Yes, yes. And that's what I want to dig in. And your presentation was awesome about this in that, you know, right now, the way that sales development is set up is very focused on the companies that are trying to get the appointments, you know, with the yep. buyer. And it's like, you know, being aggressive and like trying to push them into making an appointment and then they don't show up. And, you know, it's just like this, this mess. And then, and then they, first you have to talk to an SDR, then you have to talk to an AE, then you got to talk to a technical person da, 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 you know, it's not designed for the way that we buy things nowadays, whereas yes. product led is. And then to your point, it's like, if they're already using it, you have some data and then the, the, the BDR or SDR can actually add value to the conversation. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it, it's really hard to create and it requires this like really huge mental shift. And for kind of everybody involved in a company, the sales development leader who has been sort of advocating to build this army of people and like often I think like creates value based on the number of people on their team needs to think differently about like, how can I do more with fewer resources? And that requires input by the product team to say, how do we fix that onboarding process and that free trial, uh, you know, a sign up process and ultimately the conversion process so that your people aren't always augmenting it. And that is like a leadership alignment that I think is very hard to create and requires people who have this mentality of always putting the product first. And it's probably not very natural to most sales development and sales leaders. But the ones that do then get to like get their people involved in conversations where a user is hand raising and saying, hey, you know, I've encountered this issue or I need help or it's it's almost more of a of a customer success motion that looks a little bit like like support. It's, it's more inbound oriented. It's more reactive to the actual customer needs rather than just driving towards an appointment. It yes. doesn't mean that demo doesn't happen. The demo may occur. It's just generally answering a question or in response to something the buyer is doing. Are you in sales, but you're not using a sales engagement tool? Then you're probably losing out on revenue because you are not engaging with prospects at the right time, with the right cadence, and with enough persistency. You need VanillaSoft. Start your free trial today. Go to VanillaSoft.com. Yes, yes. And so, you know, if you're working at Oracle right now and, you know, if you take these ideas into somebody, yeah. they'll probably laugh at you. But but yes. definitely, <laughs> if, you're, if you're in a situation or you're thinking about starting a company, like, this is the way to go. I mean, in 2018, if you're not thinking this way, I mean, it's, it's like, because it's just the way that we do things now as buyers. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't want to you know, have to go through your funnel, you know, and the process no. that you set up. We want to be able to be self-service, right? 
there's been a total shift in how people buy. I was joking about this with someone the other day, but like the millennials are the users now. I'm a yes. millennial, so I get to say it. Okay. But we're really used to having this immediate responsiveness. And I think about all the applications we use as consumers now, and we're used to really great design and intuitive products that are really easy to use. And I, I use Starbucks as a great example, because when they put out an app, like people just download it and started using it. You didn't call somebody and say like, oh, like, what do I press to order a coffee? Like they, it worked from day one and it like blew up within their stores and they had all this demand that got created because people intuitively knew how to do it. And so I think if you think about that buying behavior and wanting to touch things and just have it be like slick design and have it work right away, we now expect that in our work lives too, which you know, it's probably started with this idea of like, bring your own device to work. And it's extended now to like, bring your own application, which is, I'm going to go figure out how to solve a problem. And when I encounter something at work, like, what's the first thing you're going to do, you're going to Google it. Like, I encountered this problem, how are other people solving it? Maybe you go to your network, but probably you're just like Googling and trying to find an answer. And if you find an application that does it, you actually just want to start using it. And so I've, I've actually watched this happen with sales development teams. So like, you know, we totally. made the joke about Oracle, but why couldn't you think of it that way? So if you're a sales development leader or a sales development manager or rep at a larger company that isn't doing this, you may not be building the stuff back into the product, but you can still be thinking about how do I de-labor my own motions? So if I look at, you know, what activities I take every day, what's highly manual, what's repeated, are there ways that you can kind of remove that step from yourself? And, you know, technology like sales loft or outreach is allowing us to do that on email follow-up. But there's many other places that could happen too, right? Using a Calendly link to schedule a demo instead of going back and forth three times and having somebody drop off and not respond to you. Those are all things you can actually do yourself that put a product in front of that user and kind of accelerate through the process and remove some of that manual human intervention. Oh, you see it all the time. I mean, one one SDR says, oh, yeah, you know, I, I got this great piece of information or I set up a meeting because I was using Calendly or I was using this 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 data, you know, source that I, mm-hmm. I, you know, found or this application that I found. And then another person's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, you, you, you what? You know, <laughs> and then I see a bunch of right? people using like Clearbit on their own, right? Like right. augmenting data for the company on their own dime. That's amazing. Right. <laughs> no, and it has nothing. And so they're that's totally viral. And then what's interesting about a Calendly is like you send that out and then the person receiving it gets it and they go, hey, what's Calendly? Like, oh my God, like you mean I can save the step of not going back and forth a hundred times? So it goes viral, you know, on the opposite direction too, like for that company. Yeah, so it's funny you say that. that cal- the Calendly viral loop is something that uh, I think is just like unbelievably impressive. So for people that don't know what this is, Everybody has booked a meeting before, and what do you usually do? You send an email out and you say, hey, uh, can I grab some time with you next week? And then that person responds and is like, yeah, like Tuesday and Thursday work, and you have to ask for times, and you get into this like vicious cycle of like, how do I actually nail something down? Or, you know, maybe you double book, or maybe there's an EA involved, but like, it's a really manual process. And what Calendly has done is, it's just a really simple link that allows you to integrate with your calendar show and expose your availability. Somebody selects it and it sends an invite from there. But what's cool about that is when you send the share link, users actually get exposed to your product and have to interact with it because like, what's the point of a calendar invite without somebody else on the other end, right? 
And so as a non-user, I actually get to interact with a product. I see that it's easy, which means more people discover Calendly every time a meeting is booked, which then they get the offer to, hey, if you want to use Calendly too, set it up here. And so Calendly is actually not spending a ton of money on marketing, very little sales. What they're, what they're doing is actually having the product create that viral loop of share a meeting link, have somebody discover Calendly, have a sign up get created. And what their SDR team is doing is actually servicing those people that come in as individuals and are ready to spread it to a broader team within their company. And they're actually taking that process of, okay, I'm a user as one and I'd like to be a team of 10 or a team of 20 or a team of hundreds. That's the step that they get to play in then. Yes. And isn't that more fun and more valuable for everybody than, you know, calling up and interrupting somebody right in the middle of the day to talk about some crap that they're not interested in? You know what I mean? Yeah, because you already you already know they've seen the value. Yeah. Right? They, they understand and, you have data. and recognize the problem. And you yeah, you get to have a really informed conversation with them. Yes. And I'll tell you that a company that does this really well in your neck of the woods is is Drift. I mean, they, and hopefully you're not investing in like their rival or something, but um, <laughs> I just I, like, they're a perfect example because I could never figure out chat and it was always really difficult. Like you had to call someone and talk to them and then they came along and was like, yeah, we'll give it to you for free. No credit card. Just pop it yeah. on your website. One piece of code. Boom. But I mean, you get, you start using it and it's great, but if you want the goodies, right? It's pretty down, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, um, you know, cheap. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> they also have just done an unbelievable job with the brand play, right? Yes. Uh, they, they, like, yes, they have this, this product like growth concept, but they've kind of coupled that with this kind of unbelievable brand that they've developed around a few key individuals there. And I think that's just fantastic. Yeah. Hats off to them. And they, it was funny cause they, they promote like we have no sales development. We we have no BDRs. We we just book like billions of meetings with the mm -hmm. directly with our sales reps, and it's like yeah, you know, I mean, for a company that doesn't have product led growth and doesn't have an awesome brand, and they're sitting there going, okay, we have no sales. Like, what are we supposed to be doing? You know, they have to. <laughs> someone has to like go outbound and start talking to people. I mean, you know. Of course. And then I think the other thing that happens is even in a product-led business, there is certainly a role for sales development in sales. And especially as companies grow, most of these businesses start in smaller companies, not necessarily SMB, but let's call it SMB mid-market, smaller deals, a little more transactional where there's less rigor around that buying process. But as they move up market and they're selling to larger companies or trying to target enterprise, they're still using a lot of the traditional plays. They're not relying fully on a product-led motion there. And they're building out large sales teams that are then going in and trying to convert again to that team sell or to like an MSA that allows that to expand across departments or divisions or teams and not just be like stuck in one user's credit card. Right, right. Because you could have, it was interesting, I was working with a company that, that you could sign up for free and start yep. using their their product. And then, you know, the, the idea was that you would tell your friends and the company and you would start using it as a team. And then at some point you would hit a paywall where you had to, you know, yeah. in order to expand it. And one of the things that they were, I was working with their sales development program and they were challenged. It was a challenge because they would have like five or six users at IBM 
or something like that, you know? I mean, and they're just yeah. like, oh my God, if we could sign up like 10% of this company, we're done. Like, you know, and they well, were like, kinda- just trying to figure out like, how do we approach these people who are users yeah. with our message and not seem sleazy and stuff like that. And I think one of the things that's interesting there is a lot of people just throw out their credit card, right? But at some point, as it expands and things become that like that sort of viral loop we discussed happens within an organization, whatever they're monetizing on starts going up and that credit card charge gets bigger every month. And at some point, either the user goes, oh, what the hell? I don't want this on my credit card. Or somebody in AP says, how did I just get a $15,000 monthly bill for a piece of software that never went through procurement? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And then there's a real sales conversation that happens. Right. And then and then so what happens that? I mean, well, uh, so I have two two questions for you. Yeah. Like one is on the marketing side, like with the on the SDR side. Like what is a good way to approach someone who is just a single user who's slapped down their credit card? They're a heavy user of the product and it's like, okay, dude, I need to talk to you about how do we expand this within your company? Like, I mean, in your portfolio, are they good at making those conversations? Because it seems like a little bit weird. Yeah, I think it really depends on who the buyer is there. You know, Mm -hmm. the difference between a developer tool and a... Uh, you know, product that's sold more to like a line of business or application user, I do think that conversation looks a little bit different. But one of the things that we've actually seen be successful is actually going and doing the heavy lift of getting through procurement and legal. And so, yes, you're talking to that person, but I think, you know, an end user developer doesn't want to be your champion internally. Like they don't care. It already works for them. But if you take the heavy lift of going through legal and saying, hey, you know, you have a bunch of different people using this product and we're going to get an MSA in place that actually standardizes this use, or you take it through the process, then you can go to like that person's peer in another department and say, hey, you can just use this. Like it already exists. Ah. These other people are using it. But I, okay. I think you, um, you actually end up taking on a lot more of the burden and you have less of that internal champion. Yeah. And so that, 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 okay, exactly. So that's kind of what we were doing was we would say, Hey, you know, there are people at your company using this product and they're having a really big success. And I would, I just want to talk to you, Mr. You know, Mrs. Yeah. Whatever, you know, high ranking person. I want to talk to you about how we can, you know, get a better value or something. And, and every once in a while they would, they would get it. And it's actually like, to your point, it's a better conversation than just going cold to someone. Because it's like, yeah, I have then, something, yeah. I think the opposite works too. And as we, as you think about talking to the person who really is your champion, and in certain cases, like they might be using your product for one very small thing. And if you have other use cases or other ways you can add value, I think that becomes more of an education sale, which is, let me understand what other processes you, you are doing. Or, you know, let me think about these other three challenges that customers who look like you have. Can we help you do this? Yeah. Right. And that customer success, I I sort of think of that as customer success expansion, which is, you know, whether it's more users or more use cases, it's that more natural. You already have an existing paying customer. How do we get them to adopt and grow? But I mean, regardless of kind of who does that motion, I think I, I see it be different people in different organizations. That process is really the same, which is figuring out what are the levers you can pull and what are the signs within the product that you look for to see if people are adopting. 
It may be more users. It may be more timesheets or more expense reports or more Calendly links, right? Uh, it, it is not the same across every product, but there need to be those kind of key North Star metrics that show engagement. Okay. And then, and, and who, who's driving this? Is this like a, the sales development leader who works at one of these companies or is it someone in marketing? Like who do you see usually leads the charge on trying to monitor all this stuff? Yeah. So I don't see it as being standardized yet. And that's really uh -huh. the really interesting things at different companies. It's different people. There are definitely roles now where I'm seeing more growth leaders or product growth leaders and it does mean slightly different things at different companies, and they come from different backgrounds, some more engineering, some more product, some more marketing focused. But I think really what it is, is about having an entire executive team aligned around the goal that we are going to put product first, and we're going to make the decision to try to solve, solve our problems or solve friction points through the product versus just adding more bodies. And if everyone is thinking that way, then you have the opportunity to have very open discussions about how resources are allocated, how to prioritize different initiatives within the company on really like what's going to have the biggest impact. And then each of the parts of that gets broken down. So each department is going to have a role to play. Right. And, right? And, Whether it's yes. marketing, sales development, sales, customer success, et cetera. Yeah. And just, just realigning to this model. And I think, you know what, you're going to see more and more of this as younger, you know, founders come into play because, you know, I'm, I'm generation X, you know, and we were still like <laughs> way back, like Salesforce was really cool because it was <laughs> online, you know, it wasn't like housed at your office. But, but I think that this is just such a natural model for the way that people do things nowadays that you're going to see more and more whole companies just align like this. Yeah, I think I think we will. Yeah. And I think we're starting to just see that first like generation of product led growth leaders. It's interesting as this has become a more popular role to hire for this kind of concept of growth leaders or even, you know, sales development leaders that have worked in a product first company or customer success leaders that have done that. I'm finding that there it's a small population of people because there's not that many companies who have really blown it out of the park in this model yet. And that those skill sets are highly valued. And so I think the people that go seek out these companies and learn how to do this are going to have some really interesting job opportunities in the next, call it five years, right? This is just going to continue to grow. Oh, that's awesome. So you heard it here first, folks. Growth. <laughs> Growth is the, the, the thing. And then I want to ask you one other quick thing. Sure. Events. Like I'm, you know, that's how we met. I met you in an event and then you came out to my event. Thank you so much for doing that, by the way. So how, how do like community building and events play into the marketing mix for these product-led companies? Because I'm thinking, again, you know, Drift. Drift has this really cool brand and it's a, it's a great, you know, viral product that you can use. It's easy and then, you know, it becomes more expensive. So there's a lot of buzz around it. And then they did this great event. So do you see a lot of companies building like kind of a community in this way around their product? Yeah. And people doing it differently too. I think yeah. there's the brand play and having somebody that sort of evangelizes the product is becoming more and more popular. And whether that is the founder or other people on the team that can go out, can speak to the end user, are really familiar with the problem that's being solved and are very vocal about the solution. 
it is just a brand play, speaking at other events, hosting meetups, bringing that group together, like that sort of evangelical piece, I think is really popular. Yes. Yeah. And then the second, yeah, I'm certainly seeing people doing both user conferences. Um, I saw Slack actually announced a user conference and more of these like kind of regular meetups where they're getting that end user together or supporting existing groups of their buyer. And I guess I kind of am using buyer and user interchangeably in this model, but there are certainly ways to do that. Yeah, to bring it together. Well, this is so interesting. And to be the platform for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and the main thing is, it's like, it, it starts for free. And, and you, you can, it's easy to sign up and you start using it. You're getting a ton of value. It's, they keep pushing out iterations of cool new things. And then it's like, well, it's just a natural motion. I just swipe my credit card and start to upgrade. And then, you know, now there's all this data and the sales development team can be aware of it and they can just be more of like a, like a concierge yeah. than an interrupter. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. And they can point themselves at the kind of biggest, most lucrative, interesting opportunities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's what like that example that I was giving is, is you see that there's a bunch of people from this huge company using your product. I mean, that is huge. That's amazing just to, yeah. to know that. So, well, Liz, this has been so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. I just wanted to give a quick shout. We're doing a meetup out your way at your office, November 14th in Boston. We're going to be talking about diversity in sales development and how we can drive that conversation. So I'm excited to, to be working with you again, and hopefully everybody in Boston who's listening can make it. Yeah, agreed. Everybody should get signed up. It's going to be a great panel. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for being on the Sales Development Podcast. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.